Welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review. Our several-year mission will be to boldly go where no podcast has gone before. We will be reviewing every Star Trek comic book ever published. These stories have been released by Gold Key, Marvel, DC, Malibu, Wildstorm, Tokyo Press, IDW, and others. Star Trek and all that the Star Trek universe contains is copyrighted by CBS Studios, Inc. Hello and welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review with Donovan and Ken. Special Halloween episode 405, covering the Halloween issues 3 and 4 epic. October 22nd, 2023, recording date. So this is the IDW spooky miniseries they have going on in 2023. This is a great little special. Did some of those previous ones with Red Jack? I didn't notice the dates, and you, you've mentioned a couple of them from the past. Were they both in the Halloween time frame? Or yeah, not? I don't think so. I don't know. Okay. Well, these are. So right. These are specifically for the month of October, all Halloween-oriented, and hope you enjoy the first two issues in episode 404, and now we're going to do the next two. All within the month of October. Yay. And I will say that I think I like the first two issues better than at least the first one that we're going to review today. Mm -hmm. But I'm still enjoying the series overall just as being like a more comical, almost uh, like Cupid and and the other holodeck amok episodes. (laughs) They were always a little tongue in cheek, like when there's a million datas in the Wild West and things like that. It's just it's just a little little fun. Yes, take it that way, because if you're actually going to expect things to make sense or that having good explanations for certain events happening, uh, think again. (laughs) But I'm still enjoying it. Yeah. Yes. Special guest towards the end, how he got there, who knows? A couple of special guests. Uh, Well, one. one is more of a stretch than the other. But yes. Well, well you want to just jump into it? Yeah, let's do let's it. Let's do it. Yes. Uh, pardon me for my voice, but I am uh, have a little head cold this week, so the voice is a little different than normal and maybe more appropriate given it's Halloween. Okay. So, issue number three of Halloween, published date October 2023. Creative team, writer Chris Sequiera, artist Joe Eastman, colorist Charlie Kirchhoff. Letterer, Clayton Cowles. Design and production by Neil Yataki. Senior editor, Heather Antos. Editorial assists, Vanessa Rial. Okay, three covers. Cover A presents another cover from within the holodeck. I think most of them have been within the holodeck. Regek's Borgified head is in the upper half of the cover, looking on as his hordes of crew people are armed with pitchforks and torches, and they're angry and on the march. Who are they marching towards with malice? Well, none other than Aqualad Wharf and Mummy Troy, who are fearful in the foreground. Cover art by Francesco Francavilla. Cover B is also on the holodeck and is a fun little one featuring Picard as 
the Phantom of the Opera. And the lovely Dr. Crusher as Christine. And she does look lovely. Uh, incredibly uh, flowing, curly red hair. Lovely. Art by Megan Levins and colors by Charlie Kirchhoff. Cover C presents a black and white version of Cover A. Yay. Of course, same artist. Dr. Crusher and Geordi are monitoring the captain, Riker, Deanna, and Worf, and they do not like what they see. They are still in the holodeck with Rejack and running out of time before the Denobulan conditioning will likely start causing permanent brain damage. The crew people Rejack still controls are also in the holodeck and are moving towards attacking the captain and his monster squad. Geordi wants to pull them out of the conditioning like Deanna, but Crusher says they can't until they get out of the holodeck. Dr. Crusher tries to contact Deanna and Data to get the rest of the team out of the holodeck, but Red Jack is jamming the feed. They come to the realization Red Jack could win. He could take over any system on the ship, maybe even the ship. Dr. Crusher broadcasts their situation and warns all ships to stay clear of the Enterprise until they can regain control. Meanwhile, in a shuttle near Argelius II, someone is listening and finds the situation quite interesting. Deanna is already leading the monster squad to the holodeck exit, but Rejack and his mind-control crew people are hot on their heels with pitchforks and torches. They need to exit the holodeck, but they also need to rescue the mind-controlled crewmen, too. What to do? Dr. Crusher sends a security team to the holodeck exit to be ready to help the captain. Data is able to use an exposed control panel to change the generated environment, which surprises Red Jack and the others. Data and the monster squad stop trying to escape and go on the attack. They are successful in scaring many of the mind-controlled crew into running from them and through the holodeck exit. The security team is able to stun into unconscious the crew people, and they come through the door and get them away from a redjack. Seeing an opportunity, Deanna and Data get the monster squad through the exit and raise the force field, preventing Redjack from escaping. The saved crew people, Picard, Riker, and Worf, are taken to the sick bay, where Crusher starts to treat them. Meanwhile, Geordi goes to a transporter room to find none other than Captain Montgomery Scott has found a way to beam on board the ship. Given Scotty's past run-in with Redjack, he is there to help. The senior staff, minus Picard, Riker, Worf, who are resting, meet with Scotty and decide they need to send the monster squad in one last time. The countdown resets at 25 minutes, and they enter the holodeck to find Redjack changed the holodeck to a graveyard scene. Redjack engages them, throwing spikes at the monster squad. Ghostly versions of the crew arise from the ground in front of gravestones. A battle ensues, which keeps Redjack busy enough that Data is able to slip into the holodeck and attempt to release the last seven crewmen. Deanna finally tells everyone to attack Redjack all at once. Good idea. They do so and open a can of whoop-butt 
on the villain. As Rejack is on the ground moaning, Deanna thinks they won the fight and brings the others out of the mind conditioning. They are all back to themselves mentally, but then Rejack stops playing dead and plays his ace in the hole. Data has found the last seven crew people and was preparing them to leave the dungeon when they disappeared. Apparently, Rejack has reasserted his mind control. Back in the cemetery, Rejack stands renewed and confident next to his new and powerful ally. Riker takes one look and screams, Armis, no! Indeed, it's the skin of evil himself, the slayer of Tasha Yar, a kindred spirit to Rejack, in that he too feeds off the fear of humanoids. To be concluded. Bum, bum. <laughs> yep. What do you think? Yeah, I was. I just, I'm just, just amazed, amazed how close everything is. So, we have Enoch Seven, which is where <laughs> Red Jack was. Yeah. We have Artemis Two, which is where Scotty just happened to be, and mm. then now we have what is it? Vega 2, which is where the skin of evil came from. They're yes, all just Armist. right there where they can get beamed together. Yeah, I Yes, just... it's, it's, quite, it's quite a coincidence. So again, this is the kind of tale you don't want to think too much about. <laughs> and then I was like, well, maybe, you know, when Jordy and Crusher were doing all the techno babble about some mm-hmm. secret conduit, you know, which is obviously mm-hmm. how the skin of evil got there. I mean, was secret it like trans- subspace conduit? Yeah, is that... Is that uh, next generation speak for transport beaming? I don't know. I don't know, but it says that secret subspace conduit connected to a computer node on a planet in the sector. A computer node. What? Right. What? What? A computer? It's been a while since I watched The Skin of Evil because it's not a great episode, but. No. Was he somehow computer controlled? I thought he was just a living entity on that planet. He was a living entity that looked like a pool of of oil or tar. Right. Tar is probably more like it. And as far as I could tell, he didn't have any technology. Yeah. And And even if he did have technology, if he's a physical being, how, I don't know, uh, some kind of other, some kind of transporter thing through a computer? Right. uh, That Armist just happened to have around? I don't know. Again, don't think too much. I mean, I was super excited to see Scotty show up, but I was just incredibly disappointed in the reason why he showed up. And it just the coincidence that, oh, I just happened to be in the town. You know, I just happened Uh, to be (laughs) near where you said you were in issue number one in my little shuttle. And I just uh, zipped on over once Crusher, you know, gave out that warning. Right. I was just shaking my head just like, oh, there there could have been a better explanation. Yeah. (laughs) I think Crusher gave a rather general uh, distress call and didn't actually say Red Jack or anything like that. But that Scotty knew what it was right away was uh, very insightful of him. Right. Yeah, she just says that there's a a life form that can take over computers and biological systems. Okay, I guess that is kind of – I guess that does kind of narrow it down. It's kind of like, oh, that's Red Jack. He's, He's at it again. Or he could just remember that, you know, in the DC comics, Kirk fought Red Jack on Enoch 4, 
So maybe he's like, hey, I'm pretty close to Enoch. Maybe it's Red Jack. Exactly. If if that if those issues are continuity connected to this. Right. And then Scotty also said to Jordy about how after being controlled by Red Jack, I've thought about it every day since or whatever. So it's not like he's in the back of the memory. Sure. I guess it's in the frontal lobes as far as Scotty's concerned. So there you go. Yeah. I just think this this series is a nice catharsis for Scotty to to get this passing. Right, and and I think he's probably going to do more in the next issue. Well, yeah, we'll find out because he didn't second. do much in this one. Right. Exactly. It's nice to see Data back to you know his head back on and and in uniform. Right. You know, doing a little spy thing while they're busy with uh, the Monster Squad. I like that whole idea of him going in on the sly and, and trying to get the people released. Yeah, absolutely. Now, did I miss something, or was there a reason why they can be brought out of their monster personas early now? And last issue, it would cause irreversible brain damage that even 24th century science couldn't fix? Donovan, Donovan, Donovan. It's what the story requires at any given time. I completely agree with you. Because they're not even half, yeah, they're not even halfway through their twenty-five minute limit, and then Deanna brings them all out of it, and I'm like, wow, aren't they gonna have brain damage? (laughs) Yeah, and how is Deanna able to bring them out of it? I mean, when when did she get that superpower? Yeah, I don't know. She just touches. I mean, I know she reads people, but I didn't know she could affect people. You know, by just putting her hand on their head and saying, "Wake up, wake up." (laughs) Anyway, whatever. Well, maybe that's her mummy power. Yeah, <laughs> but I thought she didn't have mummy power because, she, I mean, yeah, she went in normal mentally, right? Right, right. Well, she just has the weird voice, and I guess maybe the augments and the costumes. Maybe I, I'm just make the weird voices. Here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, who knows? <laughs> but she went in normal, and actually, she came out normal at the end because she she came out of it early, early. But her. Um, her species' special brains were able to take it. Right. And now everybody can take it. Yeah, I completely yeah, I agree. I guess so. Yeah. So we didn't mention it last issue, but at the very end of issue two, Worf mm-hmm. suddenly has a shirt on in like nah. the last couple of pages. And then so at the beginning of this, which takes place immediately after when they're all about to get pitchforked, he's again shirtless. So I really wonder why they drew Worf with a shirt on those last couple of pages last issue. We didn't we didn't mention it, but if you go back and look, uh, he's definitely wearing this black shirt, turtleneck, long oh, sleeve. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, I definitely saw that. Just, and what sense does it make? Not a lot, but he isn't yeah. the focal point of what's going on. So, but still, why do that? I mean, yeah. was, was was that like he was not the focal point, so it would be quicker. Just to draw him with a black shirt rather than all the, the body well, detail. The, the actor was cold, so they just put his shirt on. <laughs> oh, wait, this is a drawing. Never mind. Oh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, it it might have been a uh, a financial thing. Who knows? Or oh, I'm expediency. sure it It's the same artist through the whole thing. So it's like, hello? He would be keeping track of what Worf is wearing or not wearing. Yeah, you would think so. You would think so. Okay, so now everything's teed up. We've got... Armis, the TNG villain that feeds on fear and can incite fear. And then we've got Red Jack, who obviously can feeds on and can incite fear. 
And now we've got our four heroes. They're all back to their normal minds. So now they can feel fear quite easily. So they need to be brave. And now it's going to be the big, you know, the big, the big battle royale. The big finale. Yep. Yes. Now they set it totally up for the fight to start right away. And if the fight is going to take an entire issue, I would be surprised. So, well, we're going to see in a minute. So it's kind of, it's kind of funny that right. you, you really can't have a, a fight take the whole issue. Although you can. I remember a Fantastic Four issue. Uh, one of the first ones I ever read of Fantastic Four. And the entire, there was never a breather in the whole story. Every sentence ended in an exclamation mark. And they were always under threat. The whole issue. Right. I mean, look at those issues where Superman fought Doomsday to the death. I mean, those were, that's just uh, one fight that lasted wonderful. issues and issues and issues. Oh, multiple issues. Oh, boy. Yeah. Okay. They really stretch what they want out of that, eh? Now, I will say that as far as that one goes, it was kind of cool because the further they got into the fight, the bigger the panels were. So that by the mm. time you got to the last, the finale, I mean, like each page was one panel. Mm-hmm. So it was just like just to show how big the fight was getting. It, it was actually mm. it was actually well done. Cool. Speaking back to this issue, did you understand the data changing the holodeck from Jack the Ripper style to... A Christmas Carol? Uh, yeah. A Christmas Carol? Was it a Christmas Carol? Did he say Christmas Carol? I thought he did. I uh, know uh, he said Lewis Carol. Lewis Carol. So, uh, yeah. So what would that be? Like Alice in Wonderland kind of thing? <laughs> then he, he wrote Lewis. Lewis Carol wrote Alice in Wonderland, right? I think so. Shows how smart. The, the whole point of him switching the environments was very um, like, why? I mean, why are you doing this? I mean, wh- one of the things that got switched looked like a like, like more of a contemporary kind of scene. I think the last one was more of a content- contemporary scene. And then the other one was uh, like lots of wood, what, red wood panels and things. Right. I don't know. I mean, and that whole thing, I had to read it a couple of times to get it truly straight, even what was going on. I I thought when when Data ran up to the panel, he was supposed to get the door open. Right. But they didn't show the door. But I figured, oh, the door must be closed. That's why Data's going for the panel. But then when, you know, he started messing with the controls and changing the environment, it's like, hey, well, is the door open? And then finally, it's like, oh, they must have wanted to save all the people with the pitchforks. Uh, Okay. Okay, so that's what was going on. It, but it took me a little while to figure it out. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't like that part. Yeah, it was. It was not clear what advantage it was giving them. Right. Uh, another thing that's kind of weird on the same, you know, the same page where things are changing in the holodeck. There's an inset panel where there's a uh, gold shirt saying "Remaining Security Medical." These are your orders. It's like. Security medical? What? Wait, wouldn't you be dealing with, like, the normal security team? Instead of the security medical. Yeah, but these are Block's friends. They're, they're there to... They're going to they're gonna come and avenge him. Oh, that's your explanation? Yeah. Avenge him? He's the bad guy. Well, he's being mind-controlled and taken over well, by the Borg. Yeah, a lot of people are. By the Borg, right. <laughs> the Borgified Red Jack. Anyway, but my main point is, 
why with this all the security medical stuff? I mean, in the first issue where Block was obviously somebody who was assigned to uh, medical related things, that's fine. But really, how many of those people do you need? And now there's a whole team. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. I, I think that was a mistake. I think they should have just said, you know, security. Security, right. Yeah. It didn't make a lot of sense to me, but whatever. So my last comment really is just the graveyard scene with all the little ghosts coming out. Mm-hmm. Of, uh, of, it looks right. like it's Crusher, Guinan, Jordy. I can't tell who the other two are. Yeah, I, I thought it was interesting that they made it folks that are completely out of the holodeck. Yeah, maybe maybe Barclay and Sonia Gomez will go with that. Anyways. Yeah. Uh, it just that scene just reminded me of uh, when you get to the end of the haunted mansion when you go into the graveyard and they start, oh, start right, singing. Right. So I could not take this this scene seriously. I was just like, <laughs> in my head, all I could hear is the uh, ghostly ghouls come out to socialize. And I was just like, right. I don't. I don't think that's the uh, that's the soundtrack that was supposed to be put into this scene, but that's what's going on in my head. I can't right. not see that. Yeah, and what's the point of that anyway? I mean, from a Red Jack standpoint, they, these ghosts don't seem to be able to do anything. They're just kind of like floating around as, uh, you know, as Picard is wailing on Red Jack with his cane and whatever. Right. They're distractions so that Red Jack yeah, can I guess. up and stab him with his arms. My last comment is Cover A's drawing, issue number four shows Scotty in a headlock by Rejak. And this is obviously a different artist, and it's a different depiction of Rejak with dark hair, big, thick, manly sideburns, and he's got a kind of a longish face. And definitely he has a good, menacing, bad guy look on his face. And I think that drawing of Rejak is much more appropriate to Jack the Ripper and a menacing thing than blonde, handsome man block uh, who's in who's in this. So it's fine. The the block thing works, and the whole idea that Red Jack probably was not in a position to be picking a crewman to take over that had the right look to him. It's fine that he's a blonde, you know, handsome youngish man, but this looks a lot better. Right, uh, I agree. On that next cover. Yeah, I was going to bring that up on the next issue, but uh, but you beat me to it. Oh, there you go. And then, uh, so talking about the covers, I I just want to really say I love that Megan Levin's uh, cover with mm. Picard as Phantom, even though it oh, has yeah. absolutely nothing to do with the book. It's just, that's a beautiful painting or picture. Mm-hmm. I and, agree. Uh, you know, Patrick Stewart being you know, a stage actors too. So mm-hmm. you could kind of like, I, I would like to see Patrick Stewart playing the, uh, the phantom. Yeah. Completely. And Gates McFadden playing Christine. That'd be great. I mean, look at her. I mean, that's striking. That's a, that's a beautiful drawing of her. Yeah. And that's some really permed hair. Yeah. You ain't kidding. <laughs> so no, I love that painting or that picture. Yeah. And again, that gets back to the idea of they're having fun with this, Right. Mm-hmm. So somebody, I guess Megan Levins probably had the idea. Ooh, I would love to draw, you know, Picard and and Crusher in this thing. It's like, ah, yeah, go for it. Let's mm-hmm. see what it looks like. Exactly. And uh, and it works great. Yeah, loved it. All right, move on yeah. to the next one. 
Okay, Donnie, shall we do Halloween number four? Not Ooh. Halloween, Halloween. Okay, good point. Halloween number four. Yep, this came out October of 2023. Written by Christopher Esquera. Art by Joe Isma, Colors by Charlie Kirchhoff. Letters by Clayton Cowles. Design production by Neil Utaki. Group editor Heather Antos. Editorial assist Vanessa Riel. All right, so there's two covers for this. The first one is by Francisco Franchivilla. And uh, this one shows Red Jack in his uh, Jack the Ripper attire, holding Scotty by his throat. And then behind them, we see the uh, monster Armus fighting Wolfman, Riker, and Mummy Troy. And then the second cover, which I really love, is by Andy Price. It is a movie poster. The movie is entitled Klingon from the Quok Lagoon. And it shows Worf. But uh, he's even more like the Gill Man than he is in the actual book. Coming out of the water with a knife in his hand. And then we see the Enterprise swooshing behind him. And what does Queech mean? I don't know. Did you look it up? I looked it up. What What do you think it means? Uh, Black. Bing, bing, bing. You got it. (laughs) That's funny. I I didn't even think about looking it up. I, I did the search. Queege, uh, Klingon. <laughs> it took me a little a little time, but I found it. That's hilarious. All right, so the story starts off with the crew still in their Monster Squad costumes, but uh, they no longer have the monster personas, and they're watching as Red Jack and his new friend Armus start to attack them. Troy realizes very quickly that this is not the real Armus, just a bunch of Borg constructions swarm type thing, and it's there to incite the fear that Red Jack loves so very, very much. Data meets the crew at the holodeck door with the missing crewmen. They step through the door, and as soon as they do so, the crewmen start to evaporate. It seems that they were some sort of illusion again, and that Data fell for it a second time. Time goes by, and Red Jack and his Borg slime creature have escaped the holodeck, and they pop up from place to place, frightening the crew throughout the ship. Picard is constantly being hounded by Red Jack, who shows up on the view screens taunting him. The crew do come up with a plan, but they cannot mention it to us, the reader. Otherwise, Red Jack will overhear. So eventually, Picard tires of this cat and mouse game, and he orders all the crew to the escape pods, and that he is going to set the ship to self-destruct. He would rather destroy the ship to prevent Red Jack from escaping. Red Jack overhears Worf and Riker have a fight over whether they should actually follow the orders, so he knows he has just won himself a ship. All he has to do now is wait for the crew to completely abandon it, then go up to the bridge, use his Borg bits to nullify the explosion, and he will gain full control. So he takes the turbo lift to the bridge, and when the door opens, he finds all of the main crew still there and all aiming phasers at him. Meanwhile, Data is back on the holodeck again looking for those missing crew members. He finds them this time inside some huge tombstones in the cemetery. Hopefully he triple checks this time that these are indeed the real ones, but he frees them and they all escape the holodeck. 
Red Jack and the fake Armis adapt to the phasers that the crew is shooting at them. When Troy arrives with a little device, Red Jack says that he has nothing to fear from whatever she's bringing to him. Then Troy, Crusher, and Scotty explain what this little device is. It seems that they were able to map out Red Jack's subatomic personality by scanning Scotty's mind. And I guess there was still a little bit of Red Jack in there after all these years. They can now excise Red Jack from Block's body and then be able to disperse him to prevent him from reforming. Red Jack calls their bluff and he attacks, only to be zapped completely out of Block's body. Block is now free of Red Jack and perhaps only the second person to ever be rehabilitated from being a Borg. Though this is not mentioned at all in the book. The crew then speculate how long it'll take Red Jack to be reformed, and they say it'll take a couple of centuries. On a personal note, I think they're teeing up a discovery appearance, hopefully. Later, the crew is enjoying the planned holiday party Troy was setting up way back in issue number one. In the background of the party, we can see Riker with a plastic werewolf mask on his head. We see Data with his arms outstretched like Frankenstein, allowing the kids to hang from them. And then we see Troy, Picard, and Worf discuss a possible Christmas party in the near future. The end. So, the story is wrapped up, and Rejack is taken out by Technobabble, <laughs> and uh, everything is good, and we can have a party. Yay. Yeah. I did not like the uh, resolution. I'll be honest, I didn't like this issue at all much, because uh, I thought the first three issues were pretty solid, but this one just mm-hmm. seemed, I don't know, just like they were rushing it. I mean, the fact that Armis was set up as being this big bad in the last, you know, for the finale, we got a new big mm-hmm. bad. And then, like, in the first page, Troy's already like, oh, that's not him. And then Red Jack just, yeah, it's not him. You know, it's just like, <laughs> wow. <laughs> It's it's basically one of those blow up uh, anametric things you've got at Home Depot. That's all he is. He's an armus one like that. Yeah, yes, when really, we were very anticlimactic. Yeah, when we were reading issue three in that last page when it showed Armus and Red Jack on that in the cemetery, I did wonder why Red Jack didn't have the Borg bits on his face anymore. But I didn't really oh. think of it because it was just a single picture, and I was just like, right, okay, right. whatever. You know, they just wanted to. You know, he, he does augment himself throughout the book, so mm-hmm. I guess he can lose lose or gain the Borg bits as he wants. But no, we find out that he really just took all the Borg bits out of him to make Armis out of Borg nanoprobes and a little bit of block skin, and then, boom, you have an Armis. <laughs> yes. Who knew? Yeah. Who knew you could do that? Yeah, like I said before, this this is something they backed into, and they just had to figure out justifications for everything. And then at the end, well, okay, so how are they going to take them out? Well, we used transporters last time. Hmm, what can we do? How about subspace communication? <laughs> Which I think is what she used, right? Yeah, that was somehow keyed into some engrams that were still in Scotty's mind after all this time. Yeah, that was right. that was the part that I was like, oh, man, that sounds like some BS. So now that we have you fully scanned 
Red Jack, we can now separate you from your host and spread your atoms throughout space again without a transporter. Okay. <laughs> okay. That's fine. Whatever. So they got rid of them the same, well, different technology, but same result. Okay. Right. So out of the three ways, four ways that they've taken care of Red Jack, which one's your favorite? So the beaming out into space from Wolf in the Fold, uh, fighting him with a uh, makeshift wormhole in the uh, DC <laughs> comics, trapping him in a torpedo like a ghost from <clears throat> Ghostbusters in the uh, Embrace the Wolf comic, or this way with the uh, scanner that somehow rips him what out of block. What do you think I'm going to say? Uh, just transporting poor Piglet out and not recombining his atoms. <laughs> yes, yes, exactly. It's the one. It's the simplest, most straightforward. Oh my God! Transporters could be such a frightening weapon, <laughs> which they really can be. They really can uh, be. They really can be. And so you know, so they. I I think uh, Kirk and company beaming them out in space. Sure. So they knocked it out of the park on the first one and hasn't uh, hasn't found a better way since. I think they've been just no. I I I I don't think they've come up with anything better since since Taws on that front. What do you think? What's your point? I would agree. Uh, I don't know. I kind of like the uh, the torpedo tube Ghostbusters. (laughs) I knew you were going to say that. Why do that? I don't know. Just at least he's contained. You know, he they they are able to like. I mean, if you know, we don't know what he is, right? Is he a ghost or is he a, some sort of entity that can enter people? Yeah, so he's some sort of energy being. So I guess I don't know, containing him inside of a some sort of trap physical makes trap? sense to me. Yeah, yeah. Well, so. if you're energy, if you are in the end an energy entity, and the transporter is a matter energy converter. You're physical on one end, you're converted into energy, you're sent someplace, and then recombined back into uh, to matter. Um, right. It's like, well, Red Jack is energy. He's, he's just energy. So the first step, <laughs> transferring, well, I don't know, I guess you need to look at it two different ways. The, tra- the first step in the transportation cycle is already done. Uh, of course, I guess he was in, what, Piglet? So I guess you're skipping the first step, but I guess there was a human being there, unfortunately. I don't know. It, if you think too much about any of this, it doesn't work. It doesn't hold water. Right, but, right. But the idea that you can do the, the same thing with a subspace, what, modulator, whatever that thing is. So, so the thing Troy held in her hands, that was another scanner, right? That wasn't the actual subspace trans- dispersion no, device they went I thought it was. Was that it, too? Okay. Yeah, it was basically a little remote control with a dish on the top. Looked very retro. Yeah, it looked like either a, an old TV remote or maybe uh, you know a smartphone or something with this ridiculous looking little radio dish on the on the front of it. Right, right. Is what I mean, what fifties thought the future was going to look like. <laughs> right, it, it looks like the deflector dish in the original Enterprise. Right, so it's like it's really schlocky looking, but. And speaking of that page where they show that, that mm-hmm. device so prominently and she's explaining things, doesn't Troy look a lick? She's, she's put on some weight. 
She looks rather hippie. Page yeah, I, d- I didn't notice it in that page, but in the next page, when she's actually shooting him with it, I thought they drew her a little different than she was in the show. I don't know. She just looks really big and hippie. So the next page, you say? Okay, let me look. Oh, that one. Okay, so you you went two pages forward. Um, yeah, yeah, I guess. I guess. Although Armis is like in front of her too, so yeah, I guess she looks a little bit booty, booty heavy. <laughs> yep. Oh, I agree with that. I don't know. She just the actress uh, is always so tiny. It was just a little like eh, it doesn't quite look like her. No. Okay, but so there's yeah, a couple panels where yeah. things look a little off. Right. Okay. Uh, anyway, ridiculous looking device, and um, but apparently it worked. So there you go. Yep. And I like how they teed it up for a Discovery crossover when they said it'll uh, take about yeah. two centuries for it to recombine. And why? Okay, so obviously that would be the Discovery time frame. But, right. Uh, other than that, why would it be two centuries this time? Is it because subspace? Technology is better at scattering atoms than uh, transporters. Transporter, yeah, I don't know. It was a hundred years, right, or ninety years, whatever. Yeah, right about it. Yeah, and and literally, it's just kicking the can down the road. You didn't really solve anything if no, if you're going to be like, hey, he'll come back in about two hundred (laughs) years. Yeah, like uh, so, you're okay, but your 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 grandchildren are going to get killed by this red jet guy. Okay, so what was it? Two hundred or was it two thousand? 2000 right two centuries so it'd be 200 oh 200 well that's that's not discovery how far in the future are they they're in the 32nd century yeah you're right so So it's even even further than that right well anyways still just kicking kicking the can down the road it is but that's that's all they could do and they could have lost control of the whole ship right it's it's unfortunately the best they could do now did did most of the crew actually leave the ship? Are they in escape pods? I don't. I don't. Did, did they have to go that far to sell this? I mean, would Red Jack just assume that they're all leaving if all if he if all they did was walk into their rooms to hide? I would assume they should have actually jettisoned the escape pods to really yeah. sell the sell the ploy. Right, right. But there's there's families and everything. That would be a big logistical nightmare. Right. Plus, even if you're in uh, pods like that, escape pods, um, you know, that, there, anything like that's going to present risks to people. Uh, you know, you'd have, what, a uh, hundred of these things or well, whatever number there is, uh, 50, 60, 70, I don't know how many there are, but there's a lot of them dotted around the ship, a lot of people on the ship. So you'd have to have a lot of them. Um, and they're all floating around out there. They could hit each other. It's like, uh, I'm thinking too much, I know. But, and I would I would think that if a ship went critical, then they're not going to get away far enough to really matter. Right. Yeah, we've talked about this before, that the escape pods is really just kind of cruel, especially if you were in the middle of unknown space and you had to eject in mm-hmm. these little pods that don't have warp and you're out in the middle of. Oh, if you're out in the middle of nowhere, that's just delaying. No, no planets or anything. You're just like, what What little oxygen is in here is all we got. We got about 30 minutes to live. Oh, I'm sure they have more than 30 minutes, but it doesn't matter. 30 minutes or, you know, three days. It, right. It's yeah. So do they have like. Um, do they have euthanasia measures inside those shuttles oh, or those pods? Well, let's be practical. 
that's pretty pretty harsh. Well, I'm just saying. So I like the little party thing at the end. The kids look like they're having a good time. And then Riker's got the, you know, got the kind of uh, plastic uh, wolfman mask kind of on. It's on his forehead mm-hmm. or something. Right. So he at least he's got a costume on. No one else does. Everybody else just has their uniform. I mean, the kids have costumes, but but Riker's the only guy that goes a little extra, little extra distance. Has the uh, Wolfman mask? He's probably trying to impress one of the moms. Ah, <laughs> that's it. That's it. So let's talk about Data real quick. Um, okay. Did he get really stupid in this issue, or was it just me? Oh, just because they. Well, what's he supposed to do? In last issue. It, last issue ended with them realizing that the crew members that he went to go save were illusions. And then uh, this were story they, starts... Were they illusions or were they just uh, transported or, or swept away? Because they didn't really show it. Like Not like this one. This one they actually saw him kind of dissolving that they were not real. But the well, other one, did, it was like one minute they were there. The yeah. And then the other, other minute, bing, they're gone. Right. So you don't know if they were... They were completely illusions or not, I don't think. But yeah, fool me so twice. Then, yeah, so then when Red Jack got more busy, he he, they came back and Data grabbed those guys again. And then they, they also ended up being ghosts. Not ghosts, but illusions. Illusions. I don't know, it just seemed weird since, since they had already well, shown that those were not real crew members and then... Right. They're all surprised. But in the end, they, he did save them from the um, from those yeah. really tall obelisk with the crosses on top. Yeah. Yeah. Well, third time's a charm. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> well, Date Date is persistent, boy. I'll tell you, he's going to go back again and again until he gets them. Yeah. And, and I, I mean, so I'm assuming that they were hol- holodeck characters and, and then they were able to come outside of the holodeck. Before they faded away. Yeah, I guess. I mean, we, we have seen that in Star Trek when those when that gangster stepped out of the holodeck and then mm-hmm. died. But he was actually outside of the holodeck when he before he died or disappeared. Right. Disappeared. Which never made sense to me in that episode, but it, it would I make guess, it would, I guess it happened. Well, the only way you can actually be there is with the hollow emitters and they're all in the hollow deck right right but i guess they can so. project a little bit outside of the hollow deck uh, apparently they have that kind of range okay let's just go with it <laughs> but uh but anyway no, so, yes. no one will ask the question no i'm asking <laughs> I, I like that second b cover also that was good although oh, he looks yeah. a little skinny he just, he does. He just seems a little skinny in the in, in the upper chest yeah, a little bit like uh, the shape of water that that. Uh, oh, that more like that one creature. Yeah, in the chest. Just yeah, just that he's very spindly. There you go. But he's got his uh, his shoulder. What what do they, what do they call that? Uh, the the shoulder thing. But it's yeah, all the, seaweed or something. Yeah, seaweed here instead of that knitted metal stuff. Right. But I, I, I kind of like that they had that little touch, which is right. definitely a warp thing definitely and not a creature from the Black Lagoon thing. <laughs> no. Or a Shape of Water thing. Right. So what did you think about the whole fake out where they couldn't – basically they were just kind of all doing their own little thing, but they're not telling 
us the reader what's going on and but if you go back and reread it there's no like little hints as to what's even going on it's just like you know it's showing Guinan like doing dishes and little right. kids you know a teacher reading to the kids and yeah and then all of a sudden Barclay runs into the uh med bay and then the next thing you know they're 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 launching all the escape pods and it's just like oh, this is Really seems weird, weird plan. Well, especially that there had to be a limited number of people that could, could know the plan. So all right. these people, I mean, there's like a th- what, uh, 1,200 people or something on the Enterprise, a thousand, right. something. You can't tell them all. So there's a core group of people that know about it, and everybody else thinks this is real. Maybe. And did they know where Red Jack was so that he could overhear this conversation with Worf and? <laughs> Riker? Well, of course not. He's all, isn't he, isn't he at this point, like, potentially all over the ship? Yeah, I don't know. But if he's all over the ship, then he would know that the kid, you know, the people aren't going to the escape pods. Right. Well, okay, so you're thinking too much, okay? <laughs> just let the Halloween spirit, or the Halloween okay. spirit, just, just, just uh, wash over you. All right, all right. I'll, I'll, I'll embrace the Halloween spirit. Indeed. So, anyways, I, like I said, I I enjoyed the series overall. I just thought the conclusion was a little rushed. Rushed, forced, techno babble infused. Yes, right. But you know, they had to get rid of them somehow. So it was probably one of the last things they figured out. So the first thing <laughs> they figure out, we got to have the cosplay. Okay, so we start there, and then okay, we're going to use uh, Rejak. Yeah, Rejack. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's great. And then, and then they keep on going and keep on going. Like, and the, like, it's so so often happens supposedly with writers. You, they never get around to the, writing the end. <laughs> and then, yeah, because they, they did. And then, and then this is what they come up with. Right. And that's another. Uh, if you look at all four issues, the first issue mm-hmm. they set up that Rejack's in all the systems, and he's preventing. Beverly from being able to synthesize that drug that McCoy used in uh, the original episode that kind of kept people from feeling fear. Mm-hmm. Right. So, I mean, it says that she can't do that because he's controlling the synthesizers or whatever. Okay. Um, and then, but then, you know, a couple pages later, they're able to do all this muckety muck stuff in order to transform their personality. So, if he was controlling all the systems, why wouldn't he also? have prevented that from happening. And then here, I mean, the last two issues, she's injecting people with stuff all the time. So where's all this medicine coming from if Red Jack was controlling the uh, the medical synthesizers? Well, you know, Donovan, um, Red Jack, the scope of Red Jack's powers was as far as the script needed him to have. And no further? And no further. And if you've got to dial it back, because you have to have something actually happen, then dial back it shall be. <laughs> and that was another thing. In the first couple issues, they, he was spreading the fear throughout the ship so that even like Jordy was like, oh, I'm so scared. I can't even talk. <laughs> and, then, <laughs> and then suddenly they just drop that and everybody's just acting like normal. Unless they're actually face to face with Red Jack, they're, they're just going about their normal day, you know, washing the dishes. They're not like. Seized up with fear like they were in, in that first in school, issue. school, listening right. to the teacher tell them things. Yeah. Exactly. But in that first issue, they, they couldn't even have conversations because they were so scared. 
<laughs> remember? You know what I'm talking about. Yeah, I remember what you said. Yeah. Yeah. So, oh well. Well, you got to dial up the the threat and everything. You got to dial it back because the story has to progress. And of course, you can't have it too high because he can't be too all powerful, or at least he can seem all powerful at the beginning. But by the end, when you got to take him down, uh, he can't be as powerful anymore. Yeah. Yeah. All right. All right. I'm glad they did it. I'm it glad we had a, was, a little four issue. I'm glad we got it. And they did a pretty good job of it. And it's just, you know, whatever. Some bits were maybe not as strong as they could have been. But, but I mean, but gosh, Donovan, how many times has Rejak been uh, taken out already? You know, you kind of lose options. Anything else for this issue? I wish I had more to say, but I don't. Yeah, me either. All right, well, if that's it, then we'll uh, close up shop and uh, get ready to read the finale for Dog of War, which is the Deep Space Nine one, mm-hmm. and Echoes, which is the uh, Star Trek The Motion Picture. Right. The final fifth epi- uh, issue of each of the series. And we wrap them up to find out what happened in both cases. Yep. What happens to that little pup? L- little laddie. <laughs> little laddie. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm more interested to see what happens to uh, alternate Uhura. Yeah, General Uhura. Yeah. General Uhura. Well, I prefer to call her alternate Uhura. Just got to wait one more week and we'll find out. Okay, sounds good. So, uh, happy Halloween, everybody. Later. Thank you for listening to Star Trek Comic Book Review. All Star Trek stories and characters are copyrighted CBS Studios Incorporated. All music, stories, and characters discussed are for entertainment purposes only. You can email us at startcomicbookreview at gmail.com. Visit us at our website, www.stcomicbookreview.com. Subscribe to us via iTunes. Or friend us on Facebook at first name, stcomic, second name, book review. See you next time on Star Trek Comic Book Review. Let's get the hell out of here.